All right. Uh, Steve, we're live, buddy. This is, uh, this is something we've been working on uh, for a long time. Shane, let's dive in, man. I've been looking forward to getting started on this uh, series with you for a long time. You know, we've been talking about so many things going on in the world of work. And uh, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, everybody tuning in, really, thank you guys for joining and following Steve and I along uh, on this journey where uh, we're going to talk about the work week in the after hours format. I mean, you know, we, we may have some episodes where, you know, we're, we're both here enjoying a nice glass of wine or a cold beer from time to time, because we, we, we want to have the conversations that you probably wish you were having at work, but maybe HR doesn't want you having them or your company doesn't speak out on certain things, but you're still having them, you know, Friday evening when you're meeting a coworker out for a, for a nice wind down and these things come up. So, so Steve and I are going to share our opinions and some insight and uh, some of it we might get wrong, and some of it we might get right, and some of it we might just be right down the middle. So um, I think I think the biggest topic right now that, that probably owned the news um, feeds, if you will, Steve, was the Suez Canal, right? We had, um, we had this huge... Well, I don't even know how big it was. This thing, this thing is massive. Um, it, it, a container ship. Um, I think everybody saw the big white letters on the news, evergreen, and, and you know all these different things. And it, and it literally, I think the power shut off at some point as it was going through the Suez Canal. Some heavy winds, a sandstorm or something, and it kind of shifted and pivoted and wedged it in. And essentially caused a traffic jam to a very large portion of our commercial distribution channels, um, if you will, in the world. And I know you had an interesting take on this um, coming from a, from, from a very tech-centered, uh, tech-focused um, career uh, environment. And, and, and I, think, I think your take on this is really, really good. Yeah, Shane, you know, I was really struck by this story and I couldn't tell, I couldn't understand why. I was just thinking about this, like why does a ship in the Suez Canal, first off, I had to look on a map to see and remember where the Suez Canal was. But once I started thinking about this, I'm like, why is this really capturing my attention? And I think it's because in this digital age where everything's technology and AI and you know um, artificial intelligence taking over, here we've got a simple ship that we can all relate to on the water, stuck, causing billions of dollars. I mean, when you say evergreen, that's what their insurance carrier is thinking right now. It's going to be evergreen because the bill's going to be huge. And I think uh, I just read yesterday that the Egyptian government's saying we need a billion dollars, or you know, we're holding on to the ship until we get the the billion yeah. dollars. But it's just so fascinating. I think that we get all consumed in our worlds today, in the world of work and around technology and here we go in something very non-technical just getting stuck and bringing this global economy to its knees causing billions of dollars in damage it just really it really stuck with me just around how i could relate to that i understood yeah. that um and you know i've worked in technology companies most of my career and my first job i was working in the fashion industry and i could relate to a sweater a t-shirt a pair of shorts a jacket and when I started getting a semiconductor, it just didn't have the same relatability to me. And this mm -hmm. story just immediately related, you know, I, I could relate to it in That's a really cool. weird way. Like I wasn't happy about it. I'm sad. And and obviously a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money on this one. But it was just so interesting to me how that caught my attention, you know? Yeah, it's wild. I, I, I looked it up. So it's a 1,300 foot long, 200,000 metric ton mega ship. It, it, it is what it is and and it's wild because so, so it's it's funny you mentioned it's not funny i guess but egypt said we want a billion dollars or because they actually make money that's part of some of where their their um their national um revenue comes from is you know owning i guess they maintain it i don't know if they own it but i know that's they right. maintain it's like a toll it. route for them like yes. they're collecting tolls when ships yes. are coming by that's right and the yeah. wild part is is that billion dollars that they've lost in keeping the ship? I, I, I was reading somewhere that there was a bunch of farm animals on the ship, and there and they couldn't offload them because of 
um, you know, the different regulations of animals in foreign countries and different oh, that's things. That's right. All so, the germ concerns. Yeah. 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 So, so it's all like, it's this wild problem that, that something as simple as not like as just the wind blowing too hard and, and, and an electrical glitch in something that could disrupt our world. And it's, it's wild to think about, and, and we and, and I think this is why maybe it relates to so many people is we've all had Suez Canal events happen in our in our personal life um, in our uh, I mean hell we're we're coming off COVID right a Suez Canal happened to the world you know we all we all dealt with it so I I do find it pretty wild on how one small thing affected so many different people and impacted so many different industries so many different yeah. everybody had a everybody had an opinion on it everybody was watching it and most people again most people have no idea where the suez canal even is right right and so shane i love how you're drawing the we all have suez canal moments in our lives so here's another part of this story which also grabbed me which is how we got out of this mess in part was because of the cycle of the moon and some people, you know, I'm a body surfer, love the ocean, always have. And and people who, who study oceanography and so forth will tell you that when the moon is at a certain, I don't know, they call it apogee and per, perigee, mm -hmm. when it's su super mm -hmm. far, super close, the tides are impacted. Well, it just so happens a few weeks into this, the moon is at such a location that the tide is rising, which is going to help lift the boat out. So this wasn't some computer programmer. It wasn't some engineering, you know, feat of genius. The moon got us out of this one, right? So, I mean, I don't know whether the Suez Canal is, you know, you're a super duper engineer and you're going for a job interview and you got a flat tire, you know, mm -hmm. like, whoops, mm -hmm. I can't go to the interview because I had a flat tire. I mean, pre, obviously pre or post COVID, but what, what are those, those moments that we can all relate to? Because, you know, brought to your knees by something super, super simple and saved by something even more sort of out of our direct control. That's part of the the circle of life, you know? I, I think there's a double edge to that, right? It's oftentimes um, you, you've been a part of hyper growth companies and growing, you know, these things and, and building big businesses and you know, global distribution and, you know, been, been a part hiring people in hundreds of different locations and, and all of these things. And I think it's wild how, um, you know, and even, even in my time of, of building a company and, you know, from the ground up, you, 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 you have a Suez canal moment. We're also both parents, right? So, so we've had that right. moment where, um, you know, I think, and, and put, to put it in context, even if you're not in a, a professional world and, and you're a parent and you're listening, we, we've all had that moment where, the kid wakes up, the baby's crying, there's not a fever, they've eaten, you don't know what's wrong, you've not been to bed in two days because they won't go to sleep. And it's like, this Suez Canal moment is disrupting my life. I've got to go to work. My wife's got to go to work. We've got to figure this out. And then it's that 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 moment where you realize that we you, you were so worked up about this this big event that was occurring, this impactful, emotional thing that was happening, but the solution was just, you know, the, you know, the, the, the onesie that they were wearing somehow was making them uncomfortable or they couldn't twit and you put a different one on and now they're good. Right. Or, or at work, right. It's, <laughs> um, you know, th this issue that's happening. And then when you actually tape it, take a step back and, and, or when it's finally fixed, you're like, well, the answer was, right here in front of us we just wasted a bunch of time and it's wild how that happens it's wild how how relatable that is i think to so many different people yeah i'm, I'm sitting here thinking of a, a situation we had at linkedin one time where um we had built so you know this is back to probably like 2010 and for a side project a bunch of engineers in the company had built this really cool visual of the globe and, and put it on a television. And whenever a new member of LinkedIn signed up, the globe would stop and a little dialogue box would pop up showing the name and the title of a new LinkedIn member. So it was showing sort of the visual 
gamification of new members joining very, very quickly. And the, the globe would spin, boom, new member in Ukraine, boom, spin around, you know, new member in Miami, Florida, boom, you know, accountant, boom, you know, spinning like, oh, new member in Papua New Guinea, you know, whatever. And so one day um, I'm interviewing a candidate for, I think it was sort of uh, data protection or it was a pretty senior level engineering role. And in our interview lobby, we had this TV with the globe spinning, okay? So the candidate comes in my office and says, hey, I need to let you know something. I'm like, okay. She said, your site's under attack. And I said, what? She said, yeah, your site is under attack. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I'm sitting in the interview lobby and I'm watching the globe spin and I'm seeing all these fake names and fake locations coming up. And to me, that's a sign that your site's probably under attack. And we're thinking, here's a, here is a, a, a fun you know, tool that we that we built to sort of show something. And through that little tool, someone saw something and it turned out she was right. The site was site was under attack. There, there are people that since said she plotted the whole thing. Uh, you know, so so she would look like she was really smart. But yeah, but it was a pretty it was an interesting sort of in a in a reverse kind of way. It was something that wasn't intended for that revealed something completely unexpected, which was kind of interesting, you know. Yeah, man. It, it it's just so oftentimes I guess that's the lesson out of all of it, right? It's like oftentimes the 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 solution to to what it is. And 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 I would say now it never hit the news, but I would say all of those maritime folks that were around this um this incident that happened in the Suez Canal, they were aware of the moon, they were aware of the tides, they were aware cuz tides move on seasons like you said. They move on seasons. They know these things. These, that's their livelihood. They literally, um, you know, live, eat, and breathe on the, on the water the majority of their life. So, um, you know, it's pre it's pretty wild. What what I also find wild is, um, is and, and this and this I guess this relates from a corporate and probably a professional world as well. Is you had some people waited out, right? You had some 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 of the boats waited it out and said we're going to wait. And we're right. gonna we're gonna be patient, right? You had some that threw caution to the wind and took a detour. Now that detour, and I don't know if you saw this in the news, but the detour they had to go around uh, the Cape Horn of Africa, which is I think you're obviously familiar with that, and you know you you grew up you know nearby, and um, you know it's so it's pirate ridden waters, right? So like they're they're going through and they're having to literally. <laughs> You could swim with the sharks in a way right. To, right. to get through. And, you know, how, how relatable is that in life? Right. It's like, we right. can, I can, I can be patient. I can, I can go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you know, do these things and you'll get better. Or I can say, well, I'm going to do the extreme. I'm not going to go to the doctor. I'm going to go Google my symptoms and go figure it out and go that way. And it might work and it might right. just go away. Or you, or you might get, you might run into a pirate, right? So yeah, and I heard that the fuel cost for that was a minimum three hundred thousand extra, uh, yep. three hundred thousand dollars extra for the fuel cost. But I'm having a flashback of just standing in the grocery store, and I could see my line is just not moving. Oh. And then I move over to the next one, and yep. the next thing I know, the line I was in. It's way ahead. Always, you know, always. this happens all the time, right? Always, yeah. yeah. It's it was. It's like they. It's like they talk about the stock market, right? They say it's time in is better than trying to time the market, right? And and it's the same. It never. It it never fails. Now, the, now I will say every now and then. So they're doing a bunch of construction here where I live, and it has made this small town turn into San Francisco traffic. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, traffic backed up two miles on a road that normally there's not five cars lined up on. And every now and then I play that same game in the car and you know what I'm talking about. Like there's that one lane that's all jammed up and you need to get in that lane to get over and to get to turn at the light. But the left lane is wide open. Yep. And if I go all the way down, maybe <laughs> somebody will let me ease in and somebody will let me cut over. And sometimes it works. Sometimes I have to go completely out of the way and have to turn around and it's going to cost me more time to do than what I actually wanted to do. So I know. Uh, and and it's funny how, you know, those supermarket moments oh. translate into so many other things. So, 
you know, can you imagine how many boardrooms had to sit, uh, you know, executives got together and they're having to make a million dollar bet. How long is the ship going to be stuck? It, when's it going to get out? What's the shelf life of our goods? If there's livestock, it's finite. If it's, I don't know, maybe cartons of eggs, you know, there's a shelf life on that. I don't know, yeah. but just impossible choices. And maybe the choice is neither, right? So let, let me give you an, another, uh, you know, interesting, you know, from the technology world, Silicon Valley, where, where I, where I played most of my career. Years ago, when Netflix was started, they were really uh, wanted to pioneer some new approaches. And one of the approaches they pioneered was in compensation. And for those of us recruiting against Netflix, this just really messed us up. But it's interesting how this played out. And I have some insight because at LinkedIn, a couple of members of our board were executives and board members at Netflix. And when we were building our compensation plans, they would they would give us some really good advice from their experiences. But what they did was they, they took in a completely different approach to what any other company does, has done, or still does today. They basically said, we're going to value your job in a number. So let's say, Shane, your job is going to be all in with benefits and bonus and vacation and base salary at $400,000. Okay. Now you, Shane, are going to tell us how much of that you want to allocate to buying stock, to purchasing maybe some extra vacation, to, to topping up your benefits because maybe you have you know, more kids or you have special yeah, medical yeah. needs, whatever. So you could choose. And That's what they said was, this is really, really in, an interesting test. And I, I would love for them to publish a white paper on this because people could really learn. When it came to choosing stock, the employees 95% of the time picked wrong. And by that, what they meant was when the stock started to go up, oh yeah, I'm going to start buying more shares and allocate more of my, my big pot of money towards stock, missing the rise, you see? <laughs> so, and then when it would start to go down, you know, we're out. And so rather than being a steady investor and just riding the ups and downs, and if you were a steady investor, you would really make out, 95% of the times the employees were following and that's not the right way to, to handle it from an investment point of view, and they were losing out. And there's so many other interesting you know, things that they did and they learned from that, but that's one where you have a choice. And if you're going to make that choice right in the moment or react to it, it may not pay off rather than just choosing and writing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, and... and that truly is one, and I think so. So I, I I did I did a quick Google. There are there are a couple articles on how Netflix it, they call it how Netflix reinvented uh, HR. So uh -huh. we, we, you and I maybe need to do an episode and and kind of dive into that and and peel that back a little bit because that might that might be really really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I do think it's wild. Like like you said, in those boardrooms, you, you know, now there's moments of we're damned if we do, we're damned if we don't. But then you look at the financial decisions. Well, we're going to lose this much and these animals are going to die and this product's going to spoil if we don't. Well, what are my odds? I mean, do you bring an actuary in at that at that point and say, well, here, what what is the like, what is the right. percentage of, of likelihood that this is going to happen? You know, right. if we go the long way, what are we what are we still possibly losing? You know, even if we make it through. Right. right. And let's peel. Let's peel it back a little bit. I, I'm venture and now I'm not an expert in shipping, the shipping industry. A good friend of mine, an old boss of mine, worked for Matson, which is a big carrier, but the shipper is not the owner of those goods. I would venture. Correct. Correct. I would say the shipper has multiple consumers who have purchased container Correct. space on their ship. Yes. So now whose voice are you gonna listen to? Because oh. I, I guarantee you, right? There's a variety of, you know, goods that have a shelf life or you know, there's someone who needs those goods and their business is going to die if they don't get those goods. Oh, and man. how do you, how, who, whose voice do you listen to? Impossible, right? I mean, do you, it, at, at that point, I guess you strictly have to make the best financial decisions, but there's so much like, you know, you're not sleeping. The, the, you're not, if you're Wait. the CEO of those companies, you're not sleeping because, because a short term, the best short term financial decision may be the worst long term. Because that one may, that company may be the best long-term, you know, customer. Like, there's so much at play there. Right. There's so much at play. 
Right. And, and, you know, that that brings this story home to me from a we're still in this pandemic situation and how many impossible choices and decisions we have to make. So you're in a business right now in the pandemic, your your sales are way down. How long do you go before you got to start facing the impossible choice of I need to let people go because it's payroll is my biggest expenses in a company? Yeah. Who are we going to let go? How long do we hold on? And this is the moment where, as a as a freight company, you know these moments of crisis. And you and I have talked about this before. These moments of crisis is when you have a real chance to build loyalty and build, you know, real customer, quickly, quickly. you know, followership. Yeah. Or you can lose it in a blink. <laughs> yes. So how you treat your like the first thing I would recommend if it were me is like I'm going to call everyone that's got a container on my ship right now. Let them know we're on it. We don't know. We're following the best possible sources of information, but you know, can you tell us what your first, you know, what your first response is and how you'd like this to play out? Can't guarantee that we're going to be able to deliver on that, but if we can get a helicopter out there and airlift your container out, if it's that important, we will share the cost with you or something, right? Like, yeah. there's there's choices you have here, and that's sort of the big you know, so what moment I think for a lot of these carriers is, yeah, it's not, it's how you handle this emergency and crisis and how you treat your customers. That's really going to be worth a lot to you in terms of your brand value. I would say. Well, I think a lot of it too, it goes back and it's wild how this intersects and crosses into so many different realms, but it's a lot like leadership, right? Like there's a difference in treating everybody equal and treating everybody fair. Mm -hmm. And in this scenario, I have to think that a good leader would pick up the phone knowing that you've got a smaller carrier on here who this is financially going to destroy. And you have to, like, their opinion might weigh a little bit more because it's having that empathy to understand. Whereas if we've got Nabisco over here and they've got two thirds of the, they're not really going to, you know, I mean, they're, it's, it, it, they've got it insured. It's going to be a loss. But if, if Steve Cadigan's imports is over here and he's kind of new, he can't do that. And then I think it's the conversations of, you know, like, I need to know, do you have this stuff insured if it goes, if you don't, because we want to make sure that we make a decision that, you know, we'll pay for the difference if that's what we got to do, if we make the bad decision. But we just want to fully understand your stake in the game, if you will. And it's like having that employee of, you know, I used to tell people, your best employee sales, right? Your 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 biggest producers always are typically they they're a little bit more maintenance, right? But they also get a little bit more grace because of the production. Now they're not toxic, they're not, you know, it's just you got to deal with a little bit more, right? You got to you got to customize things a little bit. Michael Jordan, right? You're going to deal with Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman. We all watched the you know, the, the, the story that during the pandemic, Dennis Rodman took a, took a break and went to Las Vegas <laughs> and was laid up with Carmen Electra and doing Lord knows what, and in taking who knows what kind of substances, but he's Dennis Rodman. You just kind of got to deal with it, right? Like you, you got to deal with some of these things in that moment of that container. It's like, Hey, we're going to treat everybody fair, but understand that we're not going to treat everybody equal. Like it, like there's a difference in this and we want to be fair to everybody. Yeah, exactly. So one of the um, years ago, I was giving a talk up in Seattle to a group of HR people. And, um, you know, I was talking about the fact that I see the future of human resources, getting back to this Netflix model as one of customized compensation. Like we are going to move to a more customized model um, and that's just the way I see it playing out. And some a woman in the audience raised her hand and says, Hey, well, that's just not going to be fair. You know, how, how do we, how do we make it fair? And I said, well, let me ask you a question. Do you pay everyone the same in your company now? She said, no. And I said, so you already differentiated, <laughs> you know, you already are paying people different. It is interesting, but all right, I want to go back to something you said earlier about insurance and tell and share a story of when I made a really dumb decision related to shipping. So, you know, I was living in Asia for a couple of years Mm -hmm. 
in Singapore and I took a vacation and went to Bangkok. And there's this, the world's largest outdoor market there called Chattachuk Market. It is like a garage sale, tag sale like you've never seen. Okay. We're talking football fields after football fields and really cool stuff. Anyway, I found a whole bunch of furniture that I just had to have. And so got all the furniture here and it was just so affordable and beautiful. And when I was going to move back to the States, I was like, man, this is, I'm going to have some incredible pieces. So, you know, I can't remember how much I paid, maybe three, $4,000 worth of furniture. And so the next step after you buy it is you go to this uh, freight organization and they're going to ship you a container full of your stuff. So we go there and he says, okay, well now you need to declare how much the goods are worth so that we can arrive at a good insurance payment. And so thinking that I'm going to outsmart the system, I'm like, well, mm. you know, this is worth five bucks. That's worth 20. And I completely undervalued it. Well, guess what? I didn't think it through because that part of the world's quite human. The goods I bought were all like wood, special kinds of wood. And what happened during the shipment was it warped. Uh -huh. The wood warped and had probably half the pieces were damaged. I had no coverage because mm. I outsmarted the system and I outsmarted yeah. myself. And I just wonder not to, you know, project that any of these companies are undercalling the value, but when have we had the Suez Canal ever blocked? And Correct. that would motivate you to undercall the so, value of your goods. So that's what I was getting to. If if you if if this guy tells me, like, look, I'm fully, I'm good, the other guy's gonna tell you, like, you know, this is just between you and I, but I'm going to be honest with you. We like, we've only got about half of what's on there on it. Right. Like, and that's what I was getting to. Like we, we've <laughs> all, we, 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 we've all been there. Right. It's like, yep. it, it's like, it, I mean, I, I, when I traveled a lot with CCR, I would go and stay for two or three weeks at a time in Australia and New Zealand, these different places. And same thing with the airlines and the luggage and the weight and how much weight you get. Well, three weeks in Australia, I've got to bring a bunch of candy back to my kids that they can only get. And I mean, I've, I've finagled, I've had stuff on me when I checked the bag. And then right when we go to go put it in after it's already been, oh man, I've done all that. But again, it's you're only covered for what you've got in there when you go through. And yeah, the, the insurance is, I, I would have to think that that is a, uh, um, the reality of it is, is human nature. Someone on that ship did not have something fully insured. I'm sure. Absolutely. And this is the moment probably the insurance companies are like, oh yeah, people are going to remember why they need to maximize their insurance coverage That's right. That's because right. of this. Again, your, your next, your next 10, your next 10 loads that go out, they will have full. <laughs> yeah. Why are they paying such a higher premium? Well, you know, uh, mm -hmm. We, we, we're just taking on more expenses. No, you're making sure you're covering your hind end because uh, you somebody lost their job because they didn't. Yeah, uh, they they didn't do it. So and that and that you know and that gosh, you talk about all the the learnings you can take from the Suez Canal, and I just love this this conversation chain around the Suez Canal moment. So let's just go in a in the direction which you just covered, which is you know learning from a situation. And swinging the pendulum the other way. So I've been a recruiter for over 30 years. And I could tell you without a doubt, almost every time we had someone leave for whatever reason, voluntarily or involuntarily, almost always we would say, well, that last person didn't have this. So let's hire the next person to have more of that. Mm -hmm. And we fail to appreciate sometimes that what they did have we and and we undervalue that in the next person. You follow me? Mm -hmm. So we'd like swinging the pendulum. So I definitely believe people will be buying a lot more maritime shipment insurance for sure. Um, but but it's sort of like a pendulum, and 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 we flip it rather than like why don't we hold steady? Why don't the Netflix employees learn? Hold your steady, and and the long term it's going to play out. It just I guess yeah. that's how human nature works. You know? Well, I I, I think so. And you got to almost wonder like. It's 2021. So, so I'll give you an example. I have to think that Elon Musk wasn't sitting somewhere and thinking, well, why in the hell are we only using this one narrow stretch of land to do this when we have, and he's looking at a map and he's thinking, well, we can put one here 
we can do this here. Why are we not rewriting it here? And you have to think that this in like there's in, in, in that, and I guess that's probably the next stage of the conversation is what innovation comes out of, um, you know, a Suez Canal moment in your life or, um, you know, in, you know, it, 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 so I, I'll share like innovation came out of, um, you know, an, in a Suez Canal moment when I got divorced and it was like, okay, all of a sudden everything about my life is now solely on me. It's, you know, here I had to learn all of these things. I got to keep up with everything where I was just going to work. You, you balance the checkbook, you, you know, you, you handle these things. Now I'm, I'm on all of it. I'm having to keep up with this stuff. I'm having to check and make sure I'm getting the right insurance. I'm, you know, all these different things that I just never really at the time focused on. And, you know, that Suez Canal moment that caused you to stop in your tracks and, uh, and detours your life in a way, um, you know, th there has to be innovation that comes out of this. There has to be. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I'm sure Elon, if he's looking at that, it's going, you know, why are they, why are we even in a water, using water? <laughs> like, why don't we have some yeah. sort of underground rocket turbo booster going there? Or why don't we have a rail, you know, why aren't, why isn't it more automated that it could go like that? I, I was listening to a radio show a few years ago, and I think it still holds true that transportation is one of the most under transformed, under advanced you know, uh, parts of the, of the economy. Yeah. Like we have yeah. seen so little advancement in transportation and that, you know, driverless, uh, could lead to greater speed of getting to locations. And I do think there's a chance and, and some cities are going this way. There's a chance. Let's just take like Las Vegas is a great example of this. Mm -hmm. You don't need a car in yeah. downtown Las Vegas, but boy, it would be nice if you could get from point A to point B um, and not have to be in a taxi. Yep. Um, and, and so I wonder if we're going to see cities where you park your car outside and then you get into some sort of automated vehicle that takes you from point A to point B. Okay. So this is, so, so it's wild that we're talking about this. So that is the evolution of Tesla. So that is the dream of what Tesla is. So Tesla is, is essentially what I don't think what the average person who doesn't really follow Tesla and just sees a really cool looking car that goes really fast and you can drive without your hands on the wheel, they, they, they really miss a lot of what's going on. So Tesla's whole dream is to have a network of cars. Like if, if you and I both owned a Tesla, we go to the office, we could opt our car in to an automated Uber-like service. So while we're sitting at work, our car is autonomously going and helping ease the traffic and the transportation grid. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. going out, picking somebody up, taking them. And, and they have a very similar, it's not, it's not Tesla, but it's, um, uh, Waymo. Uh, and I think Waymo yeah. is Amazon yep. where in, in, in Washington. And I think in Phoenix, if you get the app and, and if anybody's listening, if you've never done it and you fly into one of these cities, download the app and you can, and you're staying within the city, an autonomous, vehicle it's like a square uh, like a rectangular looks like a toaster oven almost pulls up you can get inside and it takes you where you want to go and that's that in a lot of ways is is very interesting I, I, as you know um i won't get into it too much but as you know i've been doing a lot of research on portugal and lisbon and trying to really understand they a lot of people don't have cars there because one it's a very walkable city it's you know it's easy to kind of get around Mm -hmm. But two, the narrows, the roads are really, really narrow, right? And you got to wonder what innovation is going to come out of this to where they say, we're just not going to allow any residentially owned, like you got to pay like a super premium to have a residential car, you know, a consumer car within the city limits, right? Um, and, and London kind of does that. I, I didn't know this, um, but one year... Um, we, we, I did a, I did like a, a talking road tour where I actually flew into London. We rented a car, drove all the way through the English channel, drove up to Belgium, turned around, drove all the way up to Leeds and then made mm -hmm. our way back down to London. And when we were in London, one of my guys who, who was working with me, um, he's, he's from England and he was like, man, we like, once we go into the city, like we've got to stay there. Like, <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? 
And he was like, it's going to cost you so much money to go in and out of the city by driving. And he said, you, you might as well just buy a car. He said, it, it's, it, it's crazy. Well, there's zones yep. in, in the yep. city. So every time they know your car, when your car goes into a different zone, mm-hmm. you pay a premium. When it leaves and goes into another zone, you pay a premium. It, it's nuts. Yeah. So if you see someone who owns a car in London, Mm-hmm. at a premium they are they are paying to do so and enjoying that and it's still congested and it's still there but it's those things that are there so you have to wonder like what like like you said transportation is coming the change in transportation is coming and there has to be that innovation of easing the traffic right easing i mean let's be honest your backyard is um maybe one of the worst um traffic areas that I've uh, ever experienced in my life. The only time I've ever been to San Francisco, I stayed in, <laughs> oh my, this is a disaster. Um, I stayed in um, Redwood City. There's yep. like a, there, there was a big tech conference there and, and I flew in. I got invited to come to it. I flew in and then uh, my wife's cousin worked at Google. So I left and drove down to Google after like what in time the of day was it? Oh, it was in the middle of the morning. It was an easy okay. drive, maybe 20 minute, 25 minute drive. Nothing. Yeah. I ate lunch at Google. Uh-huh. I took a tour, got back in the car. And, um, yeah, even Google now is, uh, is talking to me on, Hey Google here. So, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pick it, picked it up. So it's I like, yeah, it. it's a, yeah. So, <laughs> Um, so I'm on my way back. Not no big deal. You pass by right there where they have like that old, um, like air force base, I guess that I think Google bought or something right there on the right. And then you pull up and all of a sudden I was like, oh, there's a little bit of traffic. I look down at ways and it's like an hour and 45 minutes. And I'm like an hour, I'm 20 minutes away. There's no way this is going to take an hour and 45 minutes. Yep. Yeah. And it took every bit of an hour and 45 minutes to get back. Oh yeah. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. It is. And you got to think is. what innovation is going to come out. Like, why do we have to live that way? Right. Yeah. Like, like, like there has to be innovation that occurs with that. There has to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how I think the pandemic is forcing the fact, forcing a new model of people not having to drive, not having to commute to work in different ways. It's starting to get bad again. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we had a nice year. I remember when the dot com bubble burst back in 2001. I was like, woo woo, these freeways will be like vacation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go anywhere you want uh, to. About a year later, it's back to, to full on. But yeah, it's, it's tiring. You know, one of the problems we had, Shane, um, recruiting back in the day at, at, uh, at LinkedIn, 2010, 11, 12, 13, was hiring young uh, engineering talent out of San Francisco and getting them to go to Mountain View in, in Google's backyard was basically saying, you're going to be away from your boyfriend or a girlfriend for three hours a day sitting on a bus. Like, what? why do I want to do that? And they're like, I don't want to do that. And uh, And Google figured out the whole bus thing and we actually approached them at one point at LinkedIn because we were neighbors with them and said, hey, you know, can we share the bus? And they're like, nope. I'm like, what do you mean? They go, confidential information. I'm like, what? But we're, you know, we're friends, you know, you're buying our stuff. We're buying your stuff. Like, can we just share the bus? Nope. Can't share the bus. And we're just like, wow, that's really, you want to protect confidential information on your buses. And so what they <laughs> turned them into was these Wi-Fi hubs yeah, um, yeah. for people to be productive uh, there. And, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a transportation, you know, and speaking of that, you know, how would you like to be an investor in the. Uh, luxury cruise line business right now. <laughs> when is anyone going to look at a luxury uh, cruise mm. line and go, that's a not a germ, you know, carrier yeah, on water as a, wa- as a floating cesspool? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's no, who's no going to go back to that anytime soon? I mean, I'm sure you know? they will. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm sure they will. We, you know, common sense isn't the, uh, um, you know, common sense isn't given to all of us. So, right. you know, it's, right. uh, it's there, but yeah, I mean, there, I mean, there's so much of like, 
things ha- like like going back to the San Francisco thing. There's two things I learned about the traffic. Yeah. One, the best investment you can make if you want to get somewhere quick in San San Francisco Silicon Valley is a motorcycle. Yeah. And they fly. At least back then they did. They would do, like they would just skip line in traffic. We talked about skipping line. They just drive in between the stop traffic and go through. And then I'll tell you what blew my mind when I got to Google. And LinkedIn's office is right there, um, yep. like right, yep. literally right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you've never been there, and for any listening, it's a really, it is a really, really cool place to go and see and see the nostalgia of the different brands you work with and those kind of things. And I'm I'm driving and I pull in and I call him. I'm like, hey, where do I park? He's like, well, you just park anywhere. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, just just park anywhere. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to just park anywhere. And then I turned the corner and like in the, nobody's actually in a parking spot. Their cars are all just crammed in and they all did valet because they had no park. So I drive around, drive around. I was like, there's no, I'm not just parking up on a curb at Google. Like I'm not, I'm yeah. not going to do that. And I drive around back and then there's these tents BMW and Merce- I know, you know what I'm talking about too. There's a, a BMW and a Mercedes tent back there and i'm like what is this and all those folks that work there have bmw and mercedes cars so they come there to do the oil changes and do the maintenance on the cars while they're there and the guy's like yeah you can just park here it's fine he's like nobody's gonna i'm like what this place is but again that's innovation coming that's the bmw and the mercedes dealer saying you know what we're not gonna miss out on this money and we're gonna take care of our customers and we're going to adapt and we're going to change so that we can continue this revenue stream. So yeah, it's yeah. wild. I, yeah. You know, I, uh, <clears throat> I lived for a few years after Singapore and Canada. And one of the things I loved about how they thought about transportation in British Columbia is there'd be a light rail and at every light rail stop, there was a grocery store, a bunch of apartments, a bunch of restaurants, bunch of parking, everything you need, medical care, boop, next time. And so they would like, okay, here's the transportation hub. Let's put everything a community would want near the transportation hub. And then they would, and sometimes the the transportation hub went to where the community was, you know, in some cases. But in America, man, we have such a love for our cars. I think that's really driven the blockage of, <clears throat> of innovation uh, for so many years. And and, you know, the route to get through this is going to have to be through something that is, it's my car. Now, listen, I lived in Singapore for two years and I did not have a car. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'm not going to miss it. I missed it. I missed did you? I missed the time. Of, I missed commuting. I missed having 20 minutes to, listening to some just music listen to my and, music or yeah. listen to the news. And I would usually start with like NPR and then I'd go to some rock and roll, get pumped up, or I'd take a few phone calls. And in Singapore, it was a 15-minute cab ride with some you know, air freshener that made me feel <laughs> sick. And, you know, I'm just like, I, this is no, not no, my yeah, time. Not, yeah, this yeah, is no. not my time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 No, no, I get it. I get it. And that it's just a, it's a oh, man. Yeah. You're right. Like there's, and I wonder if the whole car love thing is like this whole propaganda of, because I think that's going to change because cars, like it's the whole muscle car, gas engine, yeah, yeah. vroom, vroom, <laughs> you know, 10 years from now, every car you buy now brand new is going to have to be an electric vehicle. Right. So right. does that change? Does the, and I'm going to stereotype some people, but does the, you know, the guy with, you know, the grease monkey and, uh, you know, the guy who just loves working on his car, like a Tesla, there's no, like, we're not changing the oil in this thing. Right. Like there's no, you know, you, it's not it. Like you don't have right. to do it. Like the, yeah. Yeah. the nostalgia is gone and, and it takes it away. Um, I wonder if it fades like the cowboy faded, meaning in, you know, when you had to have a horse and everybody was a horse, you know, it was this thing and it was this, you know, thing. And then cars kind of ushered in. And I would have to imagine um, because I, I, I actually, my, so I, one of my first jobs, I worked in, in sales at a Cadillac dealership. And, um, there was a gentleman that worked there. It was a black gentleman. I did not that know that. I want to hear yeah. more about this. Okay. So, 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 so my first eight or nine years, I actually worked in automotive. I worked in sales finance and as a closer, um, at a Cadillac, at a Cadillac dealership. 
And uh, work, well, I worked um, really, really great man, uh, Cornelius Martin. He, he since passed away, but he was one of the top minority dealers in the country, uh, sat on the Federal Reserve with Alan Greenspan. Uh, just a really, 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 really smart guy. Everything he touched turned to gold. We had a gentleman that worked there that cleaned the windows. So in most dealerships, they've got the big floor to ceiling windows everywhere. Uh, no, there was a black gentleman there and he was in his 90s. And he still came in. He'd kind of cut his short guy. And he, you know, he, he, he'd tell, he'd come in kind of waddling in, you know, scooting, you know, at 90, scooting <laughs> in with his bucket and his, his squeegee. And he's going, his name, and his name was Prince Henry Skiles. And, um, his family, his, his parents were slaves. And then he was born. And then that all kind of started to go away. And, um, the family that his, that, that, that the family where his family worked on their land ended up adopting him and bringing him into kind of the family. And so he kind of had, he, he was a little bit more well off than some other people. And he told me a story. I'll, I'll never forget this story at 20 years old. He told me this story about how he traded in his horse on his first car. And that's why I, because it tells me, how, I remember hearing someone who actually was there saying, oh no, horses, they'll like, they're easy to get around. I don't have to pay, you know, and even in that era, the computers were kind of just starting to be in cars in 2020. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. I don't want a car with a computer in it. It's too, I want to be able to see my gauges. I want, you know, how do I know they're not making something up on those digital, you know, this whole trust thing, right? Yeah. So he tells me this story about how he traded in a horse. He, he said that he said the local car dealer kept coming to him. You know, Mister Skiles, we've got a nice car down here for you. We, you know, oh, no, 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 no. He said I don't need it. I got a horse. Whatever. So he <laughs> rode his horse down to the dealership. Turned, traded his horse in on a car. Took the car home. He said when he woke up the next morning, the horse had gotten loose and was back at his house and was sitting in the front yard. And 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 so so I and that's why I say I, I go back to these guys that have this love and affinity. I'm in the South, right? There is a certain culture of individual that loves big trucks and right. big wheels and loud exhausts and you know diesel engines and these things. Those things are going away. Right. The yeah. innovation yeah. is changing. I wonder if that will be the change that shifts our culture from a love of vehicle to a love of transportation. Right. And, and I think right. those are two different things. And, and 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 given the influx of people leaving big cities now and moving to middle America, we're going to have to invest in some train systems and some different things as well. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of thoughts on that, Shane. First, I think that the pandemic has forced us to live a life of being, you know, needing to drive somewhere less. So that that that's happened. But but if I think if I reflect on, you know, when I grew up, what was the the biggest movie and the biggest TV series was biggest movie was Grease. Okay. Grease Lightning mm-hmm. about a car and you know yeah, the whole no, car yeah, culture. Yeah, I'm aware. And happy my wife, days. My wife loves the movie. Yep. Happy days. You know, Fonzie, hey, you mm-hmm. know, it's all about that who's got the cool car because the cool car has got the cool girls and, and all so forth. I think what's replacing that and your parent of teenagers just like I am is the gamer is yeah. the person that's cool now. Yeah. The person who's got their Twitch account, the person who's good at NBA 2K yep. or, you know, fill in the blank hot game uh, right now. That's where, you know, and my kids during the pandemic, I mean, I kind of, un, I sort of ripped out the rule book and said, uh, you can, you can game more than, than before because they were communicating with their friends. Yes. And if I want to know what's yes. going on in their life, I'd sit on the couch behind them yep. while they're talking. Yep. And then what I didn't realize is some of these uh, gaming interfaces allowed one of my friends uh, or my son's friends is playing 2K, another is playing Madden, another playing is playing some you know, call of duty and they're all talking to each other, playing yep. different games. Yep. Yeah. And then it's like, Hey, what did you think the homework assignment was a little bit rough or, you know, can you believe what, you know, Sheila said? And, you know, and I'm thinking, wow, this is really, 
yeah. fascinating. But I think that, you know, it, it, and it's not that the value of cards, in the, and by the way, my son uh, just turned 17 and he's like sort of, you know, eh, car. Yeah. When I was 14, I was dreaming about getting my license at 16. I couldn't wait. And now it's like, eh, you know, I could yeah. drive, take it or leave it. It's not the same. And Correct. I think that's maybe a generational thing. Not that there aren't cool cars out there, but I think there's sort of a different appetite and the sex appeal of that muscle car is being replaced by other things, you know? Well, I know, and, and our kids know, like, there's the thought of, well, why would I want the stress of having to go right. get my own car when I can just go on my phone and, like, just come pick me up? Like, what, like, what, like, like, why would, why would I want to do that? Or, uh, you know, when you talk about video games, it's a status. It gives a status of social, mm -hmm. social capital, having a brand that's out there. And, and a lot of that, you know, it's wild. Again, it's the evolution changes of, you know, when, when video games first started in the late 80s, early 90s. Well, if you were a kid that spent a large majority of time on video games, well, either your parents or your parents' friends thought you were a lazy, no good, and you're never going to be nothing in society. Like that's just what it was. Now you can make millions of dollars just playing video games with your friends and airing it on YouTube. Yeah. And you know, it's just a, it's a wild time. It's a wild time. And I think kind of bringing it all back full circle um to the Suez Canal, those things happen. What are you, you know, how are you going to deal with it? How everybody deals with it? We all deal with different Suez Canal moments and you know, maybe somebody listen to this. Um, we'll have a Suez Canal moment, and this will help them. You know, a story that we've shared or some insight that we've shared maybe help them. Uh, you know, think through it a little bit or, or talk through it. Yeah, it's a it's a learning moment. That's what I'm taking away from this conversation, Shane. Is that you know, look forward to those Suez Canal moments because they're breakthrough opportunities. You know, they're chances yeah. for you to look at a situation differently. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it doesn't feel great. We all have them, you know, and um, and so there are chances for us to learn. And uh, man, I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to next week. I, I I think I think yeah I think I think you're right. The lessons learned out of that are you know do the best you can, make the most informed decision you can, and know that the tide is going to change at some point. It's going to change, so just be patient and do the best you can. So, uh, Steve has been great. I think um, this is uh, one episode of many. And, um, yeah, this is, uh, we're both kind of coming off a little bit of illness right now. So, uh, we're not, we're both not, we're no, both not a hundred percent, but I think, uh, I think we did pretty good. I think um, the ideas are at least 200%. <laughs> oh, absolutely. 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 And, and the good part about it is we'll have another crazy story come up in the next week that we can kind of dive into. And, um, yeah, this will be good. This will be good. I, I appreciate you, uh, uh, having me along with this journey. Same here, Shane. I'm really looking forward to it, and, and I just uh, really enjoy the conversation. Absolutely. Uh, for those listening, uh, make sure wherever you do listen, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, go give us a five-star review, share it out to your friends. You'll start to see some social sharing and some clips and the full video and audio form uh, being shared out here uh, in the next couple of days. So um, really appreciate you guys coming along on this journey with Steve and I. And uh, Steve, I'll see you. I'll see you next week. You got it.